So I know we're 12 days in already, but um, how many of you made some New Year's resolutions? Hands up if you made a New Year's resolution. Okay, some of you, we didn't even bother. No, we, there's like about 10 hands went up. So in that case, I'm not going to ask how many have stuck to their New Year's resolutions because so few of you actually made resolutions. I'm not sure I want to find out how many are actually even still continuing theirs. Um, I did make a New Year's resolution January 1st. I hadn't done this for a while. I stepped onto the scales and uh, I've got to be honest, I, I, I wasn't pleased with what I saw. I wasn't pleased with that number right there on the scales. So right there, January 1st, stood on the scales. I made a resolution. I thought something has to change. And I'm proud to say here this morning that 12 days later, I have stuck to that resolution. I haven't given up. I've hung in there. And it's been tough at times. My resolution was to not step on those scales anymore. And I've not. I haven't stepped on one. It's difficult because they're right there on the bathroom floor. So it's tempting. But I've, I've avoided them. And, and I'm feeling a lot better. I'm feeling a lot better than I did 12 days ago. So it's really working. Um, I, I kid, obviously. I, I did step. But that, that part is true. <laughs> you, you know it's good when you come to church and the pastor's like, well, that part of the story is true. Um, I did step on the scales, wasn't thrilled with what I saw, and I am going to try and make a difference this year and uh, uh, change that, that number. But when it comes to New Year's resolutions, and I want to kind of talk about that as we kick off this brand new series here, Making Room for Life. And we've got this big uh, prop here on the stage that I'm going to get to in a minute. But before I do, let me kind of set you up a little bit, if I could, on the idea behind this series, Making Room for Life. Because we're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks together as a church, and we're going to be running through this idea of what does it mean to make room for life. And in the context of um, New Year's resolutions, you know, here's what I think. I'm convinced that there is a, a culprit, and this culprit plays a role in getting us off track from our goals and our aspirations and even our resolutions that we start the year with, or that maybe we try and create throughout the year. I think it's that one thing that gets in the way of all that we want to accomplish in our lives. And it's actually shrouded in the appearance of productivity. You see, I think the culprit that gets in the way of all of our goals, our dreams, our aspirations is busyness. We're just all so busy, aren't we? In fact, have you noticed there's kind of a a new standard response now to that question? When someone says, how are you? If someone asks you, or maybe you're asking a friend or a neighbor, how are you? It used to be fine, yeah, I'm doing good. Now it's, oh, busy. I'm busy. I'm swamped. Oh, things are crazy at the office. I'm just non-stop. Or maybe, maybe you're a mum out there and it's like, oh, so busy. Three kids, all doing three activities each. I, I'm spending my entire life driving everywhere, just picking one up, dropping one off, getting to practice, getting to, to ballet, whatever it is. And on the surface, you know, busyness, it can almost seem like a good thing. Because there is a certain status, isn't there, attached to being busy. It's like busy proves we're somebody. We've got these important lives. It's almost like a a credit to us when someone comes to us and uh, asks for a favor and they say, I know you're really busy, but... And then they ask you if you could just get more busy by doing something else for them. But we we kind of take it as a little bit of a trophy, you know, that we're, we're so busy. And because we're so busy, I think... We think there's a solution to to make room in life here. The solution would be, well, I know what would help me keep these goals, keep these resolutions. Um, The solution would be if I could just have some more hours in the day. 
If only there was more time to get stuff done. But unfortunately, as we all know here this morning, uh, that's one of the, uh, the few things in life that there is no extra of. We have the same many, same amount of hours every single day in which to work with. So we ask us this question, we, we, we find ourselves saying, if I only had more time, and, and in this series, Making Room for Life, over the next four or five weeks, I want to challenge us on the idea that maybe it's not making more time, maybe it's the way that we use that time that needs to change. Because we've accepted we're not going to get any more time. So let's take a look at the time that we have been given and decide together and maybe set some New Year's resolutions here together of how we're going to use that time and how we're going to set the priorities in our life. Because I don't think it is more time that we need. You see, some of you may be familiar with this illustration that I'm about to show you, and it's a, an analogy that's quite um, an old analogy, so some of you may have heard this. You saw the video at the beginning that kind of set this up. But for those who haven't, I want you to imagine with me that, that these rocks, okay, these large rocks, they represent um, some of the major things in our lives. So, so these would be the priorities. These are the big rocks, you know, the things that really, this is very important to me. In a normal week, this is one of those things that I intend to get done. But you see, unfortunately, if we just had those large rocks, everything will be great. But every one of us has these, these small stones as well, these little tiny pebbles. And these kind of rep- represent all those busy things that just crop up during the week. They're, they're going to buy groceries, responding to emails, you know, um, keeping up with the house, whatever it may be. Just those, those day in, day out responsibilities. And here's what happens in our life. Here's why it's really important to look at these like priorities and decide how we're going to use them. Because watch what happens with this jar here. So I'm going to pour into this jar all these small rocks. And as I said, this is our average week. And if you're listening on the podcast right now, pebbles are pouring into the jar. This would look much better on video, but you'll just have to imagine it as you're uh, listening along. So our jar starts to get fuller and fuller and fuller. And then we decide, because really, we are good people, it's not that we don't want to do these things, we just get busy with everything else. So then we decide, you know what, I'm going to try and fit those other things in here, and, and these, these large rocks that could be family, or they could be our relationship with God, um, or you know, th- those important things during the week, we, we start to realize, you know what, I don't have room. If only there was a, and, and we think, you know what the answer is, a bigger jar. That's what we need, is we need a bigger jar. More time in the week, but we're never going to get more time. The jar is never going to be bigger. So we've got a problem here, haven't we? But here's the power of this analogy. And I want you to keep this picture in your mind over the next few weeks. And we'll probably come back to this on a regular basis and talk about this. Because watch this. Imagine if the change we made wasn't to add more hours to the week. It wasn't to try and find a bigger job, but it was just to reprioritize the the important things in our lives and say, you know what? I'm not going to let anything crowd this this week. This is that important that I'm going to make sure that I set this as a big goal and I put that in first above everything else. And this one here, and we're going to talk each week about what each rock represents. We're going to start off this morning, but each rock is kind of a, a, a bigger rock and it's, it's some of those more important things in our lives. And, and now all of our big rocks are in the jar. So maybe that means we have to give up some of that busyness that we had, you know, some of those, those other things, because it didn't all fit in the jar the first time, did it? But let's have a look now and see what happens when we just reprioritize. 
And again, if you're listening to this on the podcast, it's quite anticlimactic. But if you're watching right now, it's amazing. See that? Everything fits. Same jars, same rocks. But the first time round, did you see how they didn't all fit? And the second time round, they did. And I want you to keep that image lodged in your mind as we speak over these next few weeks because it's a very simple analogy, but it's so profound, so powerful that if we choose to, to identify what those big rocks are in our life and we choose to put those first, then all the other business, that'll get worked out, that'll get done. But if we don't have a plan for those large rocks and we set them aside and we get busy, same amount of time, same size jar, at the end of the week, we try and jam those. They didn't fit, did they? It's prioritizing and making those big rocks go in first. So the idea behind this series, Making Room for Life, is that you're all good people here this morning. I know that. You're trying hard to live the best life that you can. You want to be the best husband or father or wife or mother or son or daughter, whatever you are this morning. It's not because you're, you're a bad person, yet still you find that these big rocks are getting left out. And like we just discovered, it's not the size of the jar or the number of hours in a week. The important things sometimes get left out because we have this tendency in our busyness to put the small rocks in the jar first. And when we do that, there's just no more room. And I want to challenge us each week to decide what are these large rocks and what can we do to put those first in our lives. So this morning, the very first one in our series, we're going to be talking about the idea of making room for God. Making room for God. Now, maybe you've been coming to Connect for a long time and, and God is a big part of your life. Maybe you're a visitor here this morning and, and this is all brand new to you. And, and I would challenge you to ask yourself that question. Is this a journey I want to go on? Is this something I want to explore? What it's like to, to make room for God in my life? There are many here this morning who could share stories of how they chose at some point to make room for God in their lives and their lives have changed as a result of it. In fact, I would even challenge you to say this morning that God has already made room for you. He sent Jesus. We talked about that at Christmas time. And, and he's made room for you. And he's just waiting for you now to say, I want to make room for you, God, in my life. He's desiring a relationship with each and every one of you. But what does it look like? What does it mean to make room for God in our lives? So throughout this series, we're going to look at the life of one person in particular who got this stuff right. One person who figured this out, a guy who put the big rocks in first and just seems to know a thing or two about how to make room for life. His name was Jesus. And he has a vision for our lives today. He wants our lives to be fully alive, fully human, so fulfilled. There's a great um, statement that he made. You can read it in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is what Jesus said. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, he's talking about you this morning. He has come, Jesus says, because he wants you not just to have life, but to have it to the full. He wants your life to be the best life possible. So he has a, a great plan for us, and he's a great example of who to follow. He's also a great example of how to live. If we base our lives on him and we look at the life of Jesus, we can learn so much. So over the next few weeks, as we talk about the busyness of life and we talk about what these rocks can represent... We're going to look at Jesus and see how he handled those rocks. Because I think Jesus made room for God in his life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Now, let me ask you this question as I go into this particular story we're going to look at together. How many of you can't stand it when you lose something? Anyone out there get frustrated? I mean, yeah, me, absolutely. I'm the same. Um, we've got a, a house full of people who get frustrated. I've got a wife who's very frustrated because nine times out of ten, it wasn't actually lost. It was just me or the boys weren't really looking properly. So she'll say, have you looked in this room? Yes, I've looked in that room. In she goes, out she comes holding the backpack. Then what's this? Well, I couldn't see it. But there are, there are some times where it genuinely is lost, and even Casey can't find it. And then it's like, oh, this is infuriating. Well, this morning, we're going to look at um, something that happened about something, in fact, actually not something, someone who was lost. And this comes from one of the accounts of Jesus' life. There are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four writers, they tell the story of Jesus. Now, Luke, he's one of my favorite writers because Luke didn't actually live with Jesus. He lived after Jesus, but only 10 or 20 years after. In fact, he was probably alive at the same time as Jesus, but when he came to write this book, it was about 20 years after Jesus had um, been crucified and risen again. So Luke was a doctor. So he's a scientific mind. He's not just going to write poetic stories. He's a fact finder. So he spent time talking to people and asking people about Jesus. He talked to people who knew Jesus. So the account of Jesus's life as told by Luke is a very factual one because he went through and he really asked a lot of different people. And I find it really interesting because the story we're going to read this morning, Luke is the only one of the four um, gospel writers who tells this story. But for some reason, Luke felt like it was important that this particular story made it into, that, into his book. And this story is the only story we find of Jesus as a young person. We know all about Jesus being born in a manger. We know all about Jesus' life uh, when he was about 30 years old onwards and the miracles he performed and the, the teachings he made. But this happens when he was 12 years old. And listen to the way Luke tells us about what happens. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends and When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. You know, every parent can relate to that horror moment when suddenly they've realized that their 12-year-old son is missing. We were, uh, during Christmas break, Casey and uh, the kids and I, we went up to Chicago for a couple of days and we visited the Shedd Aquarium and had a lot of fun there as a family. And um, at one point, Casey and Emma stayed to look at a a fish or a whale or something that was in the tank. And uh, me and the boys, we thought we'd uh, go downstairs and get ice cream. So, uh, and now we get back to the original resolution at the beginning as to why I need to <laughs> keep, because that was our journey. So we're off downstairs for ice cream. And uh, we were gone about five minutes and we come back. And as we started to walk up the stairs, Casey was walking down the stairs and she said, isn't Emma with you? And we're like, no, we thought she was with you. She's like, oh, I thought she followed you when you went. We're like, no, she didn't come. And that sudden panic in this massive place in the middle of Chicago and we're like uh, uh. so we went back up the stairs and just stood at the top of the stairs there not moving from where she last was on the on the brink of tears was little Emma just we're like Emma she's like (laughs) and we found her and we were reunited with Emma and and it's just an awful moment and that was just a few minutes we discover here that Jesus's parents had lost him it had been over a day before they realized he was missing Now, I don't want to sound overly harsh here, but 
they'd lost the Messiah. <laughs> this is the Son of God. I mean, we've been talking a lot about this leading up to Christmas. And we were talking about Emmanuel and how for hundreds of years people had looked forward to the day that God would come to earth in human form. And Jesus, and he did. And then they lose him. Made me feel a little bit better about just losing Emma, you know, for a, a ten minutes or so. But here's what happened. You see, they've been to this big religious event where they had to travel to Jerusalem to go. It appears that they went with their whole family and their extended family as well. They spent a whole day on the road and then suddenly they realized we've lost Jesus. I mean, they've been gone a day. It's, it sounds like a, a, a plot for Home Alone. So they get back there as quick as they can. And it's fascinating the way this, this narrative unfolds. Because it says they searched all over the city. And they finally found him. And listen to the way Luke tells it. It says, after three days, so they've been looking everywhere. After three days, they found him in the temple. Uh, I'm sorry, they found him in the temple courts. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. How relieved they must have been to find him after those three days. I'm sure they were experiencing all the kind of experiences, all the emotions that us as parents would go through of being scared. But then when they found him, were relieved and, and then maybe they were angry and then maybe they even felt guilty. But after all of this, listen to the interaction between Mary and Jesus. It says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And Luke felt that that was really important that we understand that Jesus almost was saying to his mum and dad, listen, this is where you should have looked. This is, this is where you should have expected to find me. This is where I want to be. We don't know what tone he said it in, but I'm guessing that Mary was probably expecting more of an apology than the response she got. But here's the thing. I don't think this is just some little anecdote about an adolescent Jesus. I think there is great significance here in his words that give us insights into um, how we can start making room in our lives for the best kind of life. You see, I think even at 12, he's making a statement about one of the big rocks that is already in the jar of his life. You see, it's fascinating because everybody else had come to Jerusalem for this big religious celebration, the Passover. They did their religious thing. They celebrated. And then as soon as the Passover was over, off they went back home. But not Jesus. He's not done just because the official celebration is over. He's growing in his faith. He's listening. He's asking questions. He's, he's even answering some questions. He's growing in his relationship with God because he's made it a priority. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus' first recorded words are about the necessity that he felt to be in his father's house? Even as a boy, for Jesus, making room for the best kind of life, the, the most fulfilling life possible, meant making room for God first. And that's not going to happen. I was going to reach in and get one of those big rocks, but I'm not going to be able to get one out of there. So imagine one of those big rocks right now in my hands. He was making room for God in his life. And this continued on, we see, in the life of Jesus. 
This didn't just happen there. As he grew older, we read in, in other Gospels, other of the writers who tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, several times that this continues to be a priority of Jesus. This continued to be a major rock in his life. Listen to this. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. This is years later. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Here's another verse. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's another one. After he had dismissed them, there were crowds all around him. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. This was a big rock of Jesus's. This time alone with God. He said, I want to make room in my life for God. He didn't let other stuff crowd that out. And don't think this morning for a second that Jesus wasn't a busy guy. He had hundreds, sometimes thousands of people vying for his attention, crowding in around him. They wanted all sorts of things from him. Sometimes he would have to walk for days just to get from one town to another. Yet from the age of 12, we see what was one of the most important things to him. He put this big rock of time with God in the jar first. And I think he's inviting us this morning as we launch into the series to do exactly the same thing. And with this example, make room in our lives for God first. Now, I think the tendency at this point in the message as you're processing what I'm saying would be to say, you know, that's a, that's a great story, Dave. That's a, a good reminder. But seriously, I'm really busy. <laughs> I have a lot going on in my life each week. But here's what I want to suggest don't miss just how life-changing this could be to make the first big rock in your jar making room for God. Because I think it, it would make a difference in your life. It's basically saying, I, I, I want to push God up the order on my to-do list. I want to make room for God in my busy life. And this plays out, you know, in two very simple ways. I think it plays out publicly and it plays out personally. You see, we're, we're meeting here corporately like this every week, and this is a big part of, of making room for God when we come here and say, you know what, there's other things I could be doing, but I've made room in my schedule this week to spend time here publicly. But there's a personal aspect as well, that, that individual engagement, that relationship, that time alone with God. And you may be saying, oh man, but I don't have more room. I'm so busy. But rather than argue that this morning, let me, let me tell you about a guy by the name of Robert Highland. Okay, so I was preparing for this message and, and looking into busyness and all this kind of thing. And I'll be honest with you here this morning, God's really um, challenging me and my life on this as well. So I'm preaching just as much to me as, as anyone else here this morning. But this guy, Robert Highland, he was the regional vice president for CBS Radio. And he was also the general manager of a radio station in St. Louis called uh, KMOX. And he was a workaholic. I mean, this guy was busy. He was famous for being busy. In fact, due to his heavy workload, the, work, the Wall Street journal, journal called him the nation's most notorious workaholic. Now, if you're wondering what, it, what he did to attain that, that title, listen to his schedule. Oh, all of you who are sitting there going, no, Dave, I'm busy. Listen to his schedule. Six days a week, he got up and started his day at 1 a.m. He gets out of bed at 1 so he can be in the office by 2. And he then works until 6 p.m. So I'll do the math for you here this morning. That's 96 hours a week. All right? Anybody here think they can top that? I, I would venture to say that unless you're a mother this morning of a preschooler, there is no way that you can do that much work in one week. 
And yet this guy, this was his average week. Now, the reason I found out about this is because there's a, a pastor, I, I, I read his stuff, and I listen to his stuff, and he was telling the story that he'd heard about this guy, and he decided, uh, years ago this was, to contact the guy, and he calls him up, and he's, he just wants to know how this guy managed to sustain just a normal life with that kind of work schedule. So he called him up for an interview, fully expecting that the guy would say, I'm sorry, I'm way too busy, I can't talk to you. But when he called and explained the purpose of his call, Mr. Highland's receptionist put him right through. And here's what that pastor, that friend of mine, discovered by talking for about half an hour with this gentleman, Mr. Highland. He found out that even though he gets up and goes into the office really early, every morning at 6 a.m., he would leave the office for an hour and he would go to a nearby church to pray. Every day, 6 a.m., he would go to this church and he would pray. He also said that every night he left the office and went home to be with his family. He did absolutely no work at all after 6 p.m. No interruptions at home. From dinner on, he said, it's family time and I'm with them and them alone. And then the third thing he said was, every seventh day, I don't work at all. I take the full day off. So even though this guy is working incredibly hard... This is the point I want to make this morning. It's not that we should all live like him. In fact, I I can't imagine any one of us being able to, to live like that. But here's my point. This guy who works 96 hours a week has still made time for these large rocks in his life. He has the same amount of time as all of us. He probably has more responsibility than most of us. And yet he's found a way to live a full and rich life. And I believe that this is in part because he made room for those big rocks, that time with God. And he said, that time is unnegotiable. Every morning, 6 a.m., I'm going to spend some time with God. Every, every Sunday, I'm going to take a day off. And that is a day not to work, but to be with God. And imagine if we could start this new year differently. And all it meant was just making room in our schedules for God. I honestly believe that if Jesus were here this morning, he'd challenge us to reorder our lives in 2014 as we regularly try and make room for God. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. Let's try this. Let's try this together and and see if we can do this. Let's try and say, I want my relationship with God to be one of those large rocks. And I'm going to make room for it in the personal area and in the public area. So the first part is the personal area. And I want to challenge you to invest part of your day every day into growing in your relationship with God. I once read this statement. It says, it's good to sit quietly for 15 minutes every day to gather your thoughts. Unless you are too busy, in which case you should sit for an hour. I'll read that again. It's good. It's good to sit quietly for 15 minutes every day to gather your thoughts. Unless, of course, you're too busy, in which case you should sit for an hour. You know, I think it's great to discipline yourself to to take time. Each day and just to to set it aside and sit quietly. And and for me, as a follower of Christ, here's how I use that time in my life. Now, I'm not saying this morning you have to be a follower of Christ. I would give this advice to anyone. Whatever business you're in, whatever trade you're in, whatever stage of life you're in, it's good to spend time every day just turning off the gadgets and, and sitting quietly and just reflecting and allowing that time to think in that peace and quiet. But if you're a Christ follower this morning, if you've committed to following Jesus, then that's a great time to spend that time in relationship with God. And many of us do that on a regular basis. We'll use that time to to maybe read some portions of the Bible. Maybe we'll listen to some worship music or or we'll pray, we'll speak to God and we'll expect to hear him speak to us as we read the word. 
Some people journal and just write down their thoughts. That's a way of them to kind of communicate as they write down what they feel God is saying to them that day. But that, that daily personal celebration time with God, it can be revolutionary. In fact, so much so that I want to help you in that. So one of the tools that we've created here at Connect to help you put this rock in your jar is a reading plan. We've done this for you to help you out. So on your cards, on your seats this morning, you came in, there's a card. And I want to challenge us together as a church to, to jump on this journey together. It's going to be a 30-day journey where we read through the Gospels. And there's a few ways that you can do this. There's, there's old school or there's technology. We're going to help you all out here this morning, okay? The cards are for those of you that still have real Bibles with real pages and you want to kind of slot it in there. Maybe you've got a magnet, you can put it on the fridge and that'll help you kind of keep track each day. Maybe you're cool and, well, I'm sorry, maybe you're cool. Doesn't mean you're not cool if you haven't got a smartphone. Maybe you've got a smartphone and you're like Mr. Gadgets, you like, you know, kind of using technology. Well, there's an app you can download. It's called the Uversion, okay? It's the Bible app. And if you download that, the plan is in there. You can sign up and every day when you open that app, it'll tell you what the verses are for those days. Or we've got another option for you. You can simply text ROOM to 313131. Yep. And um, if you do that, every morning you'll receive a text. So you can't ever use forgetfulness as an excuse because each morning you'll get a text and it'll remind you what those verses are. And together as a church, we can read through some of the most exciting portions of the scripture because we're going to be going through the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They are the four accounts of Jesus' life. And you may be here this morning and say, well, I know about Jesus. I know. I know about Jesus. But you know what? Every time I read those books, something new comes out. There's something I see about Jesus that I hadn't seen before. And he's a great role model for you to live and follow after. And I would challenge you, even if you're not a Christ follower this morning, read those passages every morning and be ready. I, it'll inspire the way you um, are a husband. It'll inspire the way you are a leader at work. It'll inspire the way you are an employee. There's so many great things that we can find by, by modeling our lives after Jesus's. So we can go on that journey together. And, and on the personal side, in order to make a big rock, we can say, I'm going to commit. And it might take, it's going to be three chapters every day. So depending on how fast you can read, it's like maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, depending on how fast you can read. But I want to challenge you to set that time aside and, and, and start small. If you don't do this, please don't leave here this morning and think, you know what, Dave, that's good. Tomorrow morning I'm setting my alarm for five and I'm going to spend two hours just praying and reading my Bible. That's brilliant. I commend you for your uh, keenness here. But my fear is that by Tuesday or Wednesday, that snooze button, you know, it's going to be like maybe 5.30, maybe 6. Maybe I'll squeeze five minutes in before 7 o'clock. Maybe I'll just turn the radio on in the shower and put a Christian CD on, you know. Start, start small. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes. But I'm going to spend that time each day. Maybe you're a morning person, maybe you're a night person. Whenever you choose that to be, just reading and learning for myself about Jesus. So that's one area in which you can do that. The second area, that's the personal. The second is the public. It's to making sure that other things don't crowd your, your opportunities to be here on a Sunday and to celebrate together what God has done in your life. Um, there's a church up in the suburbs of Chicago and they did a, a survey recently of all of their attenders. And, and here's what they did. They asked all of their attenders that would consider themselves regular attenders to sign up for this survey. So all the people who attended sporadically, they didn't need to sign up. But if you were a regular attender, you were encouraged to sign up. So they signed up. So then over a few months, they tracked the attendance of their regular attenders. 
And they discovered that, on average, regular attenders attended their church 1.7 times a month. 1.7. Now, I'm not sure if that means that they, uh, they just did the math and it came out of 1.7, or if people literally spent one service and then 70% of another one, they just left, you know, like two-thirds of the way through. I'm guessing it's a math thing, but even the regular attenders, their, their attendance was 1.7 times a month. But when I think about Jesus, he made it a priority to gather with others, to connect with God. He did, and I think we can. We were not made to go alone in life, especially not spiritually. I think we need to be here to celebrate the things that God's doing in us and through us. And Jesus made it a point to show up in a place like this and hear from God and focus on God with other people. And I think we need to too. So I, I love being here. It was hard for me last Sunday to cancel service because I enjoy being here and, and singing and hearing Justin tell us a story about his family and thinking, God, that's so true. That's, that's like you, you know, and, and then getting to meet other people and, and, and chat over a coffee or a donut. It's a great part of, the, of my week. And it's interesting because when we were starting our journey to plant Connect Church, um, this, this happened a few times to me. Someone would come up to me and say, and make mention of the competition. And normally when they talked about the competition, they were referring to other churches here in Washington. I remember one time a guy came up to me, a, a church here in town had sent a flyer out in the mail. So we were all getting this, this flyer, encouraging us to go to their church in the mail. And this guy says to me, hey, do you see the flyer that came out? We're going to have to step things up a bit because they're sending flyers. And I'm like, dude, and I had to have this conversation several times. They're not the competition. You know, we're actually all on the same team. Did you know that? We're all here together, all of us churches in Washington, and we're actually trying to reach people that don't go to church anywhere. That, that's who we're trying to reach. We're not trying to reach the people at other churches. We're trying to reach the people that don't go to church. So great job, church down the street for sending out that flyer. I hope some people go to your church. And I hope some people go to your church. And I hope some people come to my church because we want the churches to grow. If I had to very politely and gently explain to some of these people, no, 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 no. The, the other churches aren't the competition. Let me tell you who the competition is. The competition is the mall. The competition is the golf course on a really nice sunny day. The competition is an early kickoff in the NFL. The competition is that Sunday morning paper with a fresh pot of coffee and a really comfy pair of slippers. Every reason that you or I or our neighbours can come up with to think, ah, oh, you know what, let's skip church this morning. That's the competition. Because I believe that when we make the effort to be here, God shows up. He's here. And it could be a great experience for us. And some of us can leave. Maybe we came thinking, oh, this, I didn't really want to come this morning. And we leave thinking, wow, that was great. I had a talk with a family recently and uh, she was telling me, it was a great story. She said, um, she's told it was a Friday. She told a colleague at work that uh, she had such a busy weekend. She had activities with the kids and all these kind of things going on. She said, but you know what? Even in the midst of all the business, I've already decided I'm going to be at church Sunday. Because I need to be there Sunday morning. I want to be at church Sunday morning. And she was there, and she said she was so glad she came. Part of the reason was it was November 17th that she was here when the tornado went through and uh, did a lot of damage to her house. Um, but it's great to hear stories where some of you tell me, you know, I was, I was kind of not sure if I was going to come, and I'm glad I came this morning. Because it makes a difference. But it's up to us to treat that like a big rock. If coming to church on a Sunday, if spending that time with God in the morning isn't a big rock, 
then we're going to find lots of other things that will crowd that out of the way. So maybe this first series, this first week, we'll make this decision together and say, I'm going to make room for God in my life. And I realize that we're, we have other commitments outside of church. There'll be family reunions, there'll be vacations, there's activities with our kids, and they, they take us away from, from church some weekends. And I get that, and, and I'm okay with that. In fact, Casey and I, we... Um, we, uh, I'm going to share this because I know that there are families here who, um, you have kids on sports programs and sometimes that takes you away. Well, let me just share something of a philosophy to maybe even challenge you to give you some, some peace of mind here this morning. So, for Casey and I, this, our kids, they play soccer. That's that other sport. Some of you heard of that. Okay, we call it football where I come from. Um, it's, it's pretty good. You should check it out sometime. It's, it's taken on, taken off around the world. I think it might go somewhere. But, um, anyway, we play soccer and, um, I love watching my boys play soccer. It's great. But sometimes it takes us away for a weekend at a time. And, and there have been occasions where, where I've been here at church with you guys and Casey's been at a game with the boys. And we try to make that the exception, not the rule, because we, we've, we've raised our family to, to believe that this attending church on Sunday is a big rock. We want to be here. But you know what's another big rock in our lives? And I, I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks, but that's reaching other people that don't know Jesus. And for Casey and I, we've made many connections with some of these families on these sports teams. In fact, what we're finding with some of these sports teams is these families are able to make this huge commitment to sports because they have no desire to go to church. Church isn't a big rock for them. Church is a rock that maybe shows up at Christmas and Easter, but then goes back in the closet for the following year. And we've been able to connect with some of those families and build relationships with some of those families and and invite some of those families along to church. And and some of those families are a part of Connect. So for us, it's a big rock because we're out there. And I would challenge you, if you are away from here, then, then know that you're away as Connect Church. You're there as an ambassador of Jesus and of this church. And, and you can reach those families. And there are ways that you can still connect back here to connect. We have a podcast that you can listen to online. So if you do miss a week for a vacation or an activity, you can still go onto the internet and download the sermon. You can kind of listen to what you missed. But you'll only do that if you've decided that this time with God is a big rock. So that's how I want to leave us this morning on this very first Sunday. How many of us would say, I want 2014... As I'm making room for life, I want to make room for God first. We're going to identify some different rocks over the next few weeks, but man, I, I had to start on this one today. Because some of us, I think, we're saying, yeah, God is in my life, but have we made room for him? Have we made him a priority? Are we saying, yeah, God, I want you to be one of the big rocks that I'm not going to just try and fit in this week. I'm going to make room to make sure that you fit in first, and then the busyness is going to go in all around that. So whether it's making a commitment this year to try and be here on Sundays as, as much as possible, maybe it's a commitment to signing up for this reading plan and spending that time just alone with God every day, let's make room for God's together here as a church family. And I tell you, God's challenging me on this as well. Because I can get very busy. Do you know, it's, it's interesting. As I was preparing my message, and I'll close that with this thought. As I was preparing my message, just a little insight into my life. So I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. <laughs> I mean, I like, in preparing this message, I was reading the Bible. So that's like my job. But I still have to make room for God because I don't want the time I spend in the Bible to be sermon preparation or get me to be a better leader. Sometimes just Dave Jane needs to spend time 
in the Bible because Dave Jane needs to connect with God. Jesus was the Son of God. He was performing miracles. But even Jesus, as we read earlier, would withdraw and spend time with his heavenly Father. Because we need that. If we're gonna, and I honestly, I, I would challenge you. I think it'll change your life this year if you make God a priority in your life. Can we pray together? Father, I, uh, I thank you for this new year. New years are always great because even though only a few hands went up, deep down inside, it's, it's a fresh start for many of us. We kind of look at different things in our lives. And I think every one of us has intentions to live better and live differently. And, but as we can probably guess, having looked back on experience, that just intentions alone aren't enough. There's no one here, Lord, who if I was to identify some of these large rocks, would say, no, I don't want that large rock. Many people would say, yeah, I do want that large rock. The problem isn't wanting. The problem is when we try and put it in the jar. For some, we try and squeeze it in at the end of the week and it just doesn't fit. Or it gets left out of the jar for another week. And, and this week, we're talking about our relationship with you, Lord. Whether that be on a Sunday morning or during the week as we're reading the Bible or praying or spending time with you. Lord, I pray that every one of us, myself included, would make room in our lives for you would say, God, you are a large rock that I don't want to squeeze in. I want you in there first and let my life build around that. I honestly believe, Lord, we'll see a change in our marriages, in our careers, in our parenting, in our relationship with our parents, Lord, if we choose to make our relationship with you a large rock that we're going to put in first. So help us do that, Lord, because we're going to have a hard time doing it in our own strength. So we ask you to help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.